This is a Podfire production. This podcast may have explicit themes and swearing and may not be suitable for children. The world is full of amazing people and once a week I get the opportunity to interview one of them. My name is Brett McCallum and this is Awesome Humans. This podcast will share personal moments of connection and deeply felt experiences. If anything you hear has a triggering effect, please reach out to someone who can help you with safe or remember, you can phone Lifeline at any time on 131114. Today's Awesome Human is an amazing story. It's been a lifelong dream of hers to help others transform their lives and realise their potential, not only in their personal lives, but their professional lives also. She's the author of the published book, Unscathed Beauty, a memoir of abuse, hope and recovery. Not much more I can say today about the introduction to this amazing woman. Welcome, Kelly Humphreys. Hello. Hello. How you how going? You going? I'm just freaking We are awesome. now recording. That's very exciting. So the Awesome Humans podcast is live. Well, it's not really live. We record it and then we put it out later. <laughs> you happy with that? <laughs> Excellent. Thank you. You're welcome. Hey, the way I always start my podcast is by a really simple question. What's your first ever memory? How far back can you go? Everyone hates me for asking like this question. totally testing me right now. Uh, look, I don't know, but I remember very early on catching my first big fish. How early? I was like four. Four? That's pretty early. Yeah, How big was, was the fish? Good. It was like a six and a half foot shovel nose shark. So I can't Jesus. forget that. Yeah. Wow. I know, right? And you were hand line, fishing yeah, no, rod? It was like the smallest line you can imagine. And Dad you poured, was pissing himself laughing. And you bought in a shovel yeah, nose yeah. shark. Well, look, I had a little help, but uh, ever since then, fishing's been quite disappointing. <laughs> That's so you peaked early. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, hey, look, the story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, the whole idea of this podcast, it's all about you, right? So what we like to do is we start at the very beginning and we go through to where we are now and where we're going to go in the future. But what I always like to ask people is, what's your best ever Kelly story? Oh, God. The I best know. one, the one you always go to, you know, when you're in the pub or wherever you are and it's like, actually, I did, it's like a really good uplifting story because we're going to get dark and deep as we go further. So. Well, there's lots of little things like that, but it, I, I just think, to be honest, I think I'm living my best life now. So, awesome. you know, there's lots of really cool moments, but you got to have one though, otherwise, this is going to be a really short podcast. Well, it could be, but look, you just tested me and put me on the spot, and now I've gone <laughs> That's into shutdown. That's what it's all mode. about. Don't go shut down. Um, no, look, I, I just have to stick with the fact that I, I think doing this big stuff that I'm doing now is exciting and fun and. And you're loving scary it. Scary as fuck. And like, you know, well, look, aside from like being a cop on the street, sometimes uh, that has its own challenges. And uh, I'm sure it does. Some amazing human stories that come out of that. But, you know, just, just being an author and a speaker and the people that I'm meeting and connecting with all the time is just so powerful and so exciting. And so we're going we're to go back, back, back now, know, right? But <laughs> what we're going to do is the fact, just one little question on that. Did you ever think you'd say, I'm an author and a speaker? Yes. Did you? Was that your, I'm going to do that? Yes. From a little? 100%. Well, I was like 12 and I remember distinctly. Really? Moment. Yep, 100%. Like did you pass English at school? Yes. Oh, so I never Amazing. did. No. I never did. Oh. I'm an author and a speaker. It's really <laughs> scary. <laughs> well, you know, no, I did. I did pass English and I did all right with that. But I just I just knew because of what I was going through that I had to do something big. And that was your way of doing something big? Yeah, I just, but I had a picture in my head. It was like, a, I don't know. Like did a, the picture come true? It's coming true. Oh, I love that shit. It's coming true. It's it's becoming, I'm becoming me. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. 
Okay, where were you born? Uh, <laughs> it's not Gladstone. a hard question. Gladstone. Gladstone. Okay. Gladstone. I was going to go, hang on, Central Queensland. Like, the, these are the easy questions, okay? I was going to my ass to see my mum. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my, the womb. <laughs> yeah, the <laughs> you can go womb. back that far <laughs> if you want. So, so you were born in Gladstone? Yeah, yeah. Queensland. First school? Uh, Tannum Sands. Where's Tannum Sands? Tannum Sands, Boyne Island. Um, little twin towns, central Queensland. So is that a big school, little school? So how many kids? Pretty big school, like 800. Oh, okay. So know. it's a pretty big school for the area. I have no idea anymore. <laughs> yeah, but they're like... But then I went to a tiny school. And like, you know, you started like grade two and it was like 10 people in my class. Oh, wow. Yeah, that was very so much country Queensland. Grew up in tiny little Bororan. Where's that? Just a little bit near Tannum. <laughs> no, What's it called? Baronum. Bororan. B-O-R-O-R. E-N. Baroran. Central okay. Queensland, middle of nowhere. Yeah. Why were you there? Mum and Dad, what were yeah, they doing? They just, they just wanted some space. They wanted a, you know, a bit of land and, and so they bought a block of land and we built our house. Yeah. You know, some of my earliest memories are like laying besser blocks. <laughs> <laughs> I think in some countries it's called slave labour. But exactly, yeah. <laughs> Had you on the tools. Oh, man, I love being on the tools. Yeah. You know, if I don't have a drill in my hand or I'm not, you know, being handy, I don't feel quite at don't home. Feel right. so, no, I don't Fair feel cool. right. That's so. from a young age then. Yes, so you went to yes. Baroran Public School? State School. State School, yeah. yeah. And then Till what, year six? Uh, seven then, because, you know, I'm 40 Oh, now. it's I'm Queensland. 40 now. 40 now. That's great age. Great age. Oh. But during that, that period, were you a, a nerd, a jock, a uh, dork? What, what, oh. Where would you put yourself in that little thing? <laughs> Probably all of those. All the above, yeah. I was, I was an all-rounder. You know, One of the ones that got on with everyone? Yeah, jack of all trades, master of none. Uh, Big yeah. friend base of the ten people in your year? Yeah, look, no, well, we all just kind of like, a lot different to now. You know, I've worked in schools as a police officer, and I'll tell you what, I'd... I feel for our teenagers now. It's not like 100%. that for us. Holy yeah. hell. Um, you know, but I got out and played soccer with the boys and, you know, rode my bike home and threw rocks on the ant's nest like, <laughs> like all the fellas and, <laughs> you know. So you, your group of mates back other. then, were they mostly boys? Were they girls? How, how was... A bit of both. Because you weren't a girly girl, obviously. Oh, hell no. <laughs> I, mean, I, I practiced my running by hurtling over the fences and throwing boulders as f- for, for shot puts and, you know, like chasing, using the cattle trails as a... You know, training for, for sport and... <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> so then you go year, year seven, so year eight, what school do you go to then? Merriamvale. Okay. So that's just a town that's a little bit up the road, so they got a high school up to grade So was that 10. a bus or a pushy to school? It was a bus. It was a bus, yeah. Bus. God, I don't think I could ride that far. <laughs> <laughs> and what time, what was that school like? It was good. It was just, you know, the same. We all sort of knew each other because we'd grown up in the local area. Okay. But, you know, there wasn't a lot of opportunities for us. Um, there and you know, being the athlete that I was, it was it was uh, very interesting trying to um, you know push myself. But we, you know, I made state championships most years, and so that was what got me out and about. So there's a big sporting culture, and they they really get behind their sporting people too, don't they? Yeah, in the country areas. Yeah, yeah. I love yeah, that so stuff. It, w- it was really good, and I think that's that was a bit of a salvation for me. So, um, you know, love being out in the country, run around, do my training. So what, when did you realize that hey, I'm not too bad at this? This sport oh, I stuff. knew from when I was about ten. My yeah. dad sort of picked up that I was pretty fast, um, and just kind of good at most things. Not great at anyone. Just so uh, an all rounder. Yeah, 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 pretty pretty good all rounder. So, um, uh, it, it ended up being at the end of about grade ten. We had a mutual friend. Um, well, a, a friend of mine had a her uncle was a sports master at um, Fairhome College in Toowoomba. Yeah. 
And so they sort of were talking about me and he came and they ended up recruiting me to Fairhome College for my... For year uh, 11 and 11 year 12. And 12, yeah. And yeah. what was that for? That was an athlete scholarship? Yeah, athletic scholarship. And so let's tell everyone amazing. what you did. What's your, what's your sport of choice? <laughs> what wasn't my what? sport of choice? <laughs> so, look, coming from these little humble beginnings, I was just like, I kind of just felt like I had to do everything. And yep. mum and dad didn't have much money. So, you know, getting this scholarship was kind of like being handed this most amazing gift. And I took it like that because, you know, there was a lot of stuff going on for me. And I just needed to do something with it. So yeah. when I got to Fairhome College, I just did everything. Like, I don't think there was one night that I was at the boarding house. You oh, know? really? Like, I just, oh, I was out. I played volleyball. I did I did Olympic lifting when I was there. I started that and I made the Australian Championships for that. And then I started soccer and then I became a Queensland soccer player as well. Yeah. You know, and it was just, it was just amazing. Like, it was just, like, my world had opened up because of these opportunities and, and because you're a good athlete because i was a good athlete and so it gave me it was a vessel for me to to be able to pursue these things and and just um get really excited about life why do you think you're a good athlete is it because of we haven't gone there yet but is it because of what's happened to you what happened um, to you I back then? I think it was a big part of it, but because I really enjoyed the camaraderie of sport too. Yep. Like you meet so many cool people and, you know, but it was something I could just throw myself into. Like I have known, and it still is my greatest coping mechanism, uh, to just be really busy. Mm -hmm. So I just could throw myself into it. Is that to keep your mind off things? Yeah, well, when yeah. you sit still long enough, you kind of got to start, start thinking. thinking about <laughs> shit and then stuff comes we up. We don't want to do like, that. Oh, I don't want to be uncomfortable. So, hey, I'm just going to like go like mop the floor or do something to sabotage so the world's myself. cleanest house. The world's <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that was never well, – no, no, I, I wish I could throw myself into my cleaning and my organisation. That would be so but good. It's more just the hyperactivity moving around. Yeah, you yeah. Know, some have said, you know, Kelly, you're a bit ADHD. And I was like, okay. Well, I'm anyway. proud of that. Yeah, well. So, yeah, embrace that. Well, yes, I ADHD heard. rocks. Instead of not sleeping, I might just get up and do something. Yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. not my guys get at the office here. Office and get emails about two, three a.m. It's just oh like he was up again. Oh shit! Yes, <laughs> yes. I'm I'm learning to embrace my neurodiversity. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Embrace it. My, my, embrace the neurodiversity. My coping, my coping mechanisms. All right, I'm going to use this. So we met a couple of weeks ago. Yes. At Probably was one of the weirdest lunches I've ever been to. Oh, it was one of the best I've ever been and, to. But, but what I say by weird, I don't mean that in a negative way. It was just the worst timing of everything that happened. Like mm. every time, it was about, um, every time they said female genital mutilation, oh. which was a hundred times, so I, enjoy your meal. <laughs> I know, right? And then they I brought know, out, they said it again, that was about, here's your dessert. It was just such bad timing in the day. Well, and obviously it got everyone thinking and they made some money and that's what it was all about. And it was the world's longest lunch, is that what it was called? No, Australia, sure. Australia's largest lunch. Largest lunch, and that's what it was. It, it also stands for All In For Kids. Yep. Which, um, you know, where we met, it's it's uh, to raise money to prevent child exploitation and trafficking. Hundred percent, and it was amazing and charity. Like, oh. the, it was <laughs> the, the the speakers that were talking about trafficking and all that sort of stuff was unbelievable. And then you walk on stage. Yeah, that happens. <laughs> and <laughs> seriously, it's not. I'm 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 very much a yeah. storyteller and a speaker, and it's not yeah. often my jaw drops to the table. But you were fucking amazing. 
And you were, you were, it was, uh, and, and the thing is, I don't blow wind up people's ass, so I, I mean this by heart, yeah. It was so inspirational when you started talking. I looked at Chris, who was with me, and he goes, Awesome humans. And I went, Yep. Stop <laughs> and it. that's the reason why you're here. Thank you. Is because the story you told that day touched me, right? And the thing is, it was unbelievable. And the fact that you want to get that story out there, platforms like this is how we get that story out there how we actually save some kid's life or some kid from going through what you went through Mm. is so worth every fucking thing we've ever done thank you so like seriously it's um it's really heartfelt from me is like unbelievable you were on that day and then i come up i I couldn't find you in the day because you were surrounded by people and then i saw you at the pub and, and I wasn't going to go, so I really believe And I'm really so glad you did because then we started yeah, yeah. chatting and then now we're going to look at different things about you getting you on the podcast and stuff, but we need to tell your story first and that's what we're here to do. Thank okay. you. Yeah. Yeah. So when you were young, how young were you when, when things happened? You tell the story. Yeah, so look, you know, the lunch, uh, so working backwards a little bit just to give it some context, so I, I spoke at Australia's Largest Lunch because I'm a survivor of child abuse. Yes. Um, and so me being on that panel was to provide a perspective that it's it's very hard to talk about uh, a lived experience and do it without, um, I guess, and, and I don't mean any disrespect to anyone who's listening, but um, to, to sound like a victim because it's it's so hard to to make it sound positive. Like, you know, you're talking <laughs> it's about... It's not a very <laughs> yeah, No, it's thing. not. It's yeah. not. But, like, to provide... I guess maybe hope is a better word. Yep. And, you know, I, I started doing this in 2015 and, and I'd said to you, I, I knew for a long time that I, I, I needed to do something. From the age of 12. From the age of 12. And, you know, uh, that's when I knew it was wrong. So, and, and, I'll, and I'll go back, but uh, I knew it was wrong and I knew I had to do something to change it, but I felt stuck at that point yeah, of in course. my life. So, You're a 12 year old girl. I was like, I'm going to do something. I'm mm-hmm. going gonna, gonna to change this. And it was like a hair tingling moment. And I was just at Woolies at the. <laughs> At the time. At the checkout. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, but, you know, it started for me. So my, my, my abuse was um, my abuse was my uncle. Um, so he was my mother's oldest brother. And um, you know, very close to our family. My mum my grew up in foster homes and things like that because uh, her mother died quite young. Mm-hmm. And so for us, he was kind of like a, a bit of a protector. You know, he's really close to my mum. He supported our family building our house. You know, he's big, he was strong, you know, and, and we absolutely loved him. We really actually had a genuine, deep affection for... He's your family. You know, yeah, yeah. And look, I this is going to sound a little bit strange, but I was like, it wasn't kind of normal, mm. you know, and I'm like, but I have to question normal because of what's, what's normal? Yeah. And, um, you know, but it, it was just, he was just wonderful, but... I guess the questioning comes in because I know now, in, in hindsight, that I was groomed. You know, he spent that significant amount of time with those would read books with us and, you know, and look, I've got a brother and a sister and, and we're all sort of five years apart. So, you know, it was me, then my brother and, and my sister in that order. And so, but we all, all doted on him and uh, we spent a lot of time fishing, we were camping, you know, and we'd always spend that time together. And, and were mum and dad together? Are your mum and dad yeah, still together? So I, I, I don't know that part of the story. but Well, if we want to get right into it, um, mm. my my dad, um, Gary, so him and my mother had a relationship and ended up breaking up. Mm-hmm. breaking up. And then my mum met my stepdad, which I don't consider him my stepdad, Kevin, 
Um, and I've known him since I was like four. So Kevin's your dad. Kevin's my dad. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They're both my dad, but of course, Gary's more to me. He's if he ever listens to this, he's going to hate it. But <laughs> he's more like my best friend. Yeah, fair cool. You know, and and I feel like that's the kind of relationship we have now. Um, it was hard for a long time, but you know that's that's kind of uh, the role he now plays in my life yep. as, as, a, as a best mate. Like he just whatever's happening, yep, love you anyway. You know, um, and and it's great. And and Kevin is like he's dad. So yeah, Kevin, so Kevin and Mum were together when you're yeah, building the house. Yeah. So you, yeah, and 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 Bob was always just around. So that's the uncle, yeah. Yes, that's mm-hmm. the uncle. Yep, yep, yep. So, um, you know, and it was great because, you know, he had two boys and we all sort of just the cousins and we all played together. You know, we got camping and whatever. But I just I remember. So it was eight. Um, I was I was eight when the abuse started, and I was only just eight. And um, where we lived in Baroran is a good 45 minutes by highway to get into town in Gladstone. Mm-hmm. So he lived in Gladstone and we lived in Baroran. So we'd often go into town, do our groceries, catch up with them, stay the night and then come home the next day. Mm-hmm. You know, so it was during one of those times when mum and dad went out and they looked after us. So him and his, well, she's a housekeeper, but now his wife, um, would care for us and it was one of those times that I just I very remember very distinctly the first moment that I knew it was wrong but I didn't, <laughs> didn't have a language to say hey this is not right yeah of course you're a seven or eight year old kid yeah well I was running around in my undies as you do mm. and uh, I just remember him he was sitting on a, on the couch and he sort of pulled me over to him and you know, I had his hands in my bum and he's like you know um I just remember I remember I want to teach you what it's like to love and he said something about the movies and and I and I had this like you know feeling of butterflies and and I felt quite sick to my stomach and um, I was a bit scared but I, I didn't know I was scared I, I was also confu- I guess it was confusing was was mm. the word um, and it was at that moment that I I just I didn't really know what to do and so then I knew we were going to be going fishing the next morning before we went back um, I'm, I think that's what was happening I can't remember now. Um, but he came to me that night and that was the first time he touched me and we were in uh, bunk beds and I was on the top bunk. Uh, one of the other kids was on the bottom bunk. And, um, yeah, he that's when he first touched me, so he put his hands in my pants and that was the first time. And then he did the very same thing the next morning to wake me up. So I remember feeling completely disgusting and uh, very confused about it, but it didn't hurt me physically. Mm-hmm. And, and a lot of people don't sort of understand. They get you know, a little bit of misconceived idea that child abuse is violent and it's not always, and this is where there's a lot of shame and uh, this is why I talk about what happens because nobody really gives a voice to this type of stuff and yet 89% of child abuse happens to to, to children um, by somebody that is known to them. 89%. 89%. 9% is what the Royal Commission focuses on, is institutionalised. And there's one percent, which is uh, female offending usually. So yes, females do offend, but um, yes, yeah, so this was my uncle, and um, it started there, and it didn't stop until I was fifteen. So I kept going intermittently, you know. Um, every time, or just every now and then. Every now and then, just you know, when the opportunity arose, very opportunistic, and you know, it was very much grooming. A lot of grooming stuff would happen, and. I'll, I guess how do I explain that? It's just like, you know, we'd be climbing through the barbed wire fence and he'd touch my bum or, you know, he'd 
poke his old fella at the side of his pants when we're sitting there and just just little things that mm. you know you just kind of go oh god you know and it it it's very desensitizing because I just like roll my eyes and oh, he wants to you know show me something again and it's just kind of kind of gets to a point where you don't really think too much about it although I know that every time something happened I'd just get this sh- I call it a shame wash yeah where you just kind of like you get the sweats all over and you kind of want to crawl into your own skin and just hide away you know and um it it just <laughs> it continued for quite some time and I I remember it was so when I was talking about the 12 when I was 12 at, at Woolies um was the first moment that I knew that it was wrong because um my mother it was she was washing um some plates up in the sink and the she was really cranky and I just remember uh, her swinging around to me and I was standing there next to her in the kitchen. She said, has your uncle ever touched you like this? And I was like, oh, my God. And I just literally froze because I thought, okay, this is the time. Because, you know, for a long time I'm just like – Why did she ask that? Well, I'll, I'll get to that in oh, a sec. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, I just I, – I wanted to tell. So she saw something was wrong with you or something well, was, no, was happening to you or feeling – Something happened outside of anything I had any knowledge of yeah, at that yeah. time. And my uncle was convicted um, of – sexually assaulting another girl and at around that sort of 12 age for you i don't know how old she was uh, no um, i mean for you, around that time yeah it was around that time okay. and um but he had a story of course that he told us mm-hmm. or told mum and dad and so they didn't really know what to believe about it and so it was an opportunity to have a conversation and my mum sort of tried to take that opportunity and she swirled around she's like oh, has he ever touched you and I was like, oh my god, this is the this is the moment. This is the time that I can, you know, say something. And I, I, j- I just froze, and I just remember my palms like dripping in sweat, and I was so scared. And I, and I waited because she looked so angry. And <laughs> this is when I start talking about disclosures and mm. how to take disclosures. <laughs> but she was so like looked so angry that I was so scared that I didn't feel like I could say anything. Um, and so I did, and I said, no, he, he hasn't. And, and then, But it, then that's my, when my mum said to me, she's like, you know, if anyone ever touches you and, you know, you've got to tell me and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, oh, my God, I can't. It's Because it had already been happening yeah. from 8 until 12. So I was stuck. You know, I felt stuck. Yeah. You know, and I didn't know how to talk about it. But then it was actually when everything really hit me and I was like, this is really wrong. This isn't actually okay. And all the times, because I'd, I'd often say to him, I was like, you know, I don't think this is right, Uncle Bob. You know, I don't think we should be kissing like this and he'd say well you know it's because we love each other and you know and I said but don't you think Jesus would like this because you know I had a very strong Christian um belief system and you know I'd, I'd, I'd often say you know I don't think this is the kind of relationship we're meant to have maybe not in those words but yeah, yeah. he'd say but don't you we're think 12. God yeah 12 <laughs> don't you think God would want us to love each other so he would use that use your beliefs against beliefs, you in a way yeah, yeah. And, and I and it would confuse me because I'm like how do I like I, I know in myself, but then I couldn't. I was so confused because I'm, what is this supposed to mean? So you know, I had that opportunity at twelve, and I and I lost it. But I remember going up into the garden that day and just, for the first time in my life, just feeling so defeated about it because I was like, I can, I'm, I'm surviving. I'm, I'm getting through this. It's, you know, I've, I've got this down pat, and then getting to this, like, oh my god, it's really wrong. And I was a really good kid. Yeah, like you probably. Called probably brown nose all the time and yeah. you know, chipped about you know being a goody two shoes and all that sort of stuff yeah. because I always wanted to please people I wanted to make people happy and 
I was a There's big helper. And no, it's not. <laughs> but I, I do think that, um, you know, for a lot of survivors that they get that most beautiful thing about them and that's what's exploited by yeah, a of predator. Um, <clears throat> so uh, it, it was the most, in a way, I think still my greatest gift and quality that was used against me in that. And um, So do you think mum believed you at 12? That nothing had happened? Yeah. I don't think she really knew because... Um, so she would have been all confused with all the other shit that was going on as yeah, well. Yeah, well, because she didn't know what to believe. It's obviously it's her big brother. So, you know, a lot of people think, you know, um, and unfortunately they blame the child a lot of times. But what they have to go back to is that pedophiles, are, they, they groom the child, but they groom the family yeah. to have access to the child. And so it's not just the child that's betrayed, it's the family that's mm-hmm. betrayed. You know, and it's taken a long time, I think, for my family to realise that... It's not their fault. Yeah. You know, abuse can only lie at the feet of the perpetrator. That's oh, 100%. It. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so I was 12 and, and I just I just know that something had happened around 12 and I remember being at Woolies and so now we're back to the point where I'm like, yeah. I just remember being at the checkout and I was in a very disassociated kind of state and anyone who doesn't know what that is, it's kind of when you separate yourself from your body and, you know, it's a trauma coping response because... Um, you, you don't sort of feel present in your body, so abuse can happen to you, and you're not really you don't feel it, don't yeah. feel it, or Mentally, you're not really like kind yeah. of conscious of you know everything that's happening. And um, I just remember getting a vision, and it was a tear jerking kind of vision of me sharing my story in front of thousands of people, and just I just remember it being really powerful, and it gave me such hope. And, you know, the Christian heart of me says that's a vision that I've got to step into. Yeah. Even as a little girl, I knew that that was my mission. It was a call on my life. And, um, you know, it just sat there and it kept burning this hole in my heart for, you know, and I said, no matter what happened, I'm still going to do that. And it wasn't until um, I turned... 15 that I so was the abuse continued for the next yeah, three years yeah it did um less and less because you know i don't think i was as attractive to him the more i got older mm-hmm. um and because i knew it was wrong i sort of started to in, instead of helping him make his plans yeah i was able to try to avoid the plans happening so you could change the plans to because you get yeah, a bit older it, it, and, and you it got a bit of say in what happens and stuff yeah yeah and you know i <sighs> And did he at this time know you knew that it was wrong now? Well, he did, but I think he kind of still, I guess no one's really asked me that, but um, <laughs> uh, I don't know what he thought. But you know yeah. what I mean? Like, because there's, there's like, when you're a kid and someone that loves you and someone that's that close to your family, you believe them. Like, yeah. that's, 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 but as yeah. you're getting older, you're starting to get opinionated and you're starting to know different things and stuff like that. And yeah. I find it, um, I'm gonna, intriguing is the wrong word, but interesting mm. in the fact of it starts to slow down a lot as you get older. Firstly, because they're only attracted to young people, but simply also the fact that they now start to think, oh, fuck, what if she tells someone? Yeah. Look, I think I questioned a lot more and he probably did start to feel like I was going to say something or, you know. Did he ever threaten you about saying something? It wasn't so much a threat. It was more like... um. Because I know I said I, I could tell somebody, he's like, if you do, then I'm not going to be here anymore. And it was more like we're going to lose this relationship and this yeah. special connection that we have. And um, it wasn't anything he directly said. It was more how I f- think I was made to feel. Yeah. Um, and 
he was really obviously, like I said, significant and um, played quite an important role in our family. Mm-hmm. And to not have that connection would have been quite difficult for my family. So, And did he use your um, religion against that as well? Not – and, again, I don't think I was very religious because we're just kids and we did Sunday school through the, you know, post yeah. – through the yeah, post. Yeah, we post Sunday school then. Oh, my God. <laughs> Happens on Mondays. Oh, my God. Yeah, well, it happened any time we felt like, you know, chopping up things and colouring things. But, you know, we, we just had an idea about who who Jesus was. And yeah. to me, I was like, I had something to cling to, you know. Because I did, I'd go out in the yard and I'd cry that I'd get, you know, for God to turn me into a bird so I could fly away. Yeah. You know, I'm like, if you can do anything, turn me into a bird. <laughs> <laughs> Always <laughs> a bird. I know, I know. But I uh, look, it, it just... It was just hard because, you know, amongst everything, I was doing my sport and I was really good. I was really, really good at what I was doing. Do you think a reason you were so good at what you were doing sport-wise is because you become a runner to run away from stuff? And Maybe. I don't, I I don't mean that to sound corny, you know what I mean? Like, but yeah. it gives you an opportunity. Actually, if I get really fucking good at this, I can leave and make myself. And, yeah. and that was the whole thing? Yeah, look, I think it, it drove me. Okay. Like, I had a drive and a passion to just... And it wasn't about competing against other people because I'm not a very good competitor like that. Mm-hmm. It was more about competing against me. I just had to be better for me. I had to do better for me. And I would always beat the shit out of myself. I'd be like, oh, my God, you can fucking do better than that, Humphreys. Mm-hmm. Come on. you know. And I would talk such shit to myself yeah. to make myself do better. And it's like really bad negative reinforcement. But... It was just... That's what you did. It's your story. You know what I mean? But it's that thing. So what about mum and dad? Were they like um, work harder, train harder, be better? Or were they like, oh, good on you, Dale. Like, just keep going. No, I mean, look, we had to drive 45 minutes to go into town to do training and stuff. You know, they were always so supportive. I could never knock mum and dad. They they sacrificed so much stuff for me to get to where I am. And, you know, I... I distinctly remember the first time I ever spoke about my story. I sent my recording to mum and I said, well, what do you think? And she just is like, I just feel so guilty. And I said, mum, you have given me the courage and the ability to actually stand on my two feet. And how many lives can you save now? Well, hopefully. I don't well, know. But you know I what I mean? Like, <laughs> no, but you can that. Like that from yeah, mum. Like yeah. you've done that for me, mum. You've helped me actually get to here. Because a lot of kids, and I know this is not a good topic, but a lot of kids aren't here anymore. No, and the reason right. they're not here anymore is because of things that happen like it happened to you. Yeah, you were strong enough to get through it and now tell everyone about it. You may save one or two kids' lives. That's fucking amazing. You may save thousands, millions. Like, who knows? Hopefully. That's why I keep doing it. <laughs> so what day is fuck it day? Fuck it. I'm over this. I'm not going to do this anymore. There and I'm going to no. tell everyone. There's no... Oh, what do you mean? So there's no... So from... No so plan B. Like no, this, no, what this I mean. On that day, right? On yep. that day. What Do you remember the day you think, nah, that ain't happening to me anymore? Yep, 100%. And I'm going to tell everyone, and I don't give a fuck what happens. That's just me. Well, there's is that, is that two of those days. Okay. So tell <laughs> me about day one. The first fuck it day was when I told him to fuck off, mm-hmm. um, literally, and I yelled and screamed. Because I remember we went down, and I had busted my knee because I literally sprinted not very fast. Was. Not anymore. Now I roll. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I literally sprinted into the back of my uh, very b- close friend's BMW. And dented the back of it, and I had a busted knee. Like, was we we running from something? 
Yeah, someone was trying to cover me in cream. Oh, okay. So <laughs> I was sprinted out in the yard and it was pitch black out there and I just, you know, ran into the back of this freaking BMW and I was like, oh, my God. Uh, knee damage. Yeah, it was yeah. bad. And I, I thought I'd break a rib or something too because I was on the other side of the ground, flipped over the top of the car and I was like, <laughs> you know, I couldn't breathe. Not good. No. But anyway, I, I, I significantly remember it because I couldn't move my leg and I couldn't get away. Um, but I, I just remember... We, we had organised a fishing trip because I'm like, I'm sick of sitting in my ass. So he was coming down. I was like, okay, well, I guess I know what this means. Yeah. You know, and uh, this is hard because, you know, you kind of don't want something to happen, but you know that he wants something to happen. And it's it's just a very shit and confusing place of to course. be. And I knew that it was wrong and I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to be with him, but I just, I really want to go fishing. Like it's, it's hard to explain to anyone to get them to understand what's going on inside of a very confused teenage brain because yeah, I'm 15. But, um, you know, this has been happening since I was eight, you know. And so I remember and he had a bloody old school Nissan Pintara wagon thing. Um, it fucking gives me the shivers if I see any car I'm like sure, that yeah. now. Um, but, yeah, so we went down the back. Um, just the two of you? It was just us. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he had... Like, he stopped in the middle of bumfuck nowhere and put the back down and everything. And then he started to, like, take all my clothes off and everything. And I just literally, like, like things had started to... I just remember things were starting to happen and um, I, I just lost my shit. I don't know what it was. I, I just snapped. It was fucking day. It was fucking day. And I literally just reared up. I remember kicking him. So I, my, my left leg was absolutely rooted. So I kicked him out of the back of the, the van or the wagon or whatever, mm. with my, my right leg. And I just remember getting it, and I punched him in the chest, and I don't fucking touch me again. And I just went off. I went off, you fucking touch me, you fucking touch my sister, I'm going to fucking kill you. Yeah. <laughs> I just went off, and I was just like, I don't care. And in my head, I remember thinking, he could either kill me, or he can leave me here, or he's going to rape me, or he's going to teach me a lesson. I just had all these bad things, and I was like, I don't care, because you're not touching my sister. Yep. And also, I wasn't worried about my brother because for some reason, I didn't think he would ever touch mm. a boy. Um, How old was your sister? She's 10 years younger than me. Okay. So, we're know, talking little girl. She was tiny and she's just a little wafer of a thing. She's just she's such a yeah. beautiful, like, little frail thing. Um, and I was like, you ever fucking touch her, I'll fucking kill you. And I was so angry. Like, I don't think I've ever experienced rage like that mm-hmm. ever since even facing off with some of the worst grubs you can imagine, you know. It's, it's seven years of rage built up inside you. Oh That's what God. that is. That's why I pity the fool whoever crosses me <laughs> yeah. too much because <laughs> when that rage comes out, I don't know what I'll do. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it, and it was just a really defining moment because I just remember standing there waiting for me to either die or get raped mm-hmm. and he just bowed his head down. He's like, all right, I'll take you home then. So the complete opposite of what you thought was going to happen. I know. And I was like, what the fuck? And then I was angry at him. Yeah. Again, and angry at myself. I'm like, fuck you, Humphreys. Like, he's a fucking coward. How could you fucking wait this long to fucking say no? Like, you, you now know. Now you're beating yourself and up because so you could have done that five years ago. I know. And so th- this is a stupid thing. And, and this is something that, um, you know, I don't talk much about and I need to. Um, but they, these predators rely on our silence. And the minute you step up and say, get fucked, no, not today, not my body, mm-hmm. they go, oh, shit. They go, oh, shit. And I 
don't know what it was and I still struggle with confrontation. Like it is probably the thing that I struggle with the most. But it taught me a, a, a really big thing about predators and these types of people that prey on cowards. And I'm not saying this is true for everyone. Yeah. But it's true for many. Is it the moment you're willing to stand up, they go, oh, my God, they're going to talk about this. It's like gonna bullies at school. It is. Stand, the first person to stand up to the bully doesn't get bullied. Oh, fuck. And it, it was just – and I, I remember writing about this in my book, Unscathed Beauty, and I think I wrote it probably 50 or 60 times until I was comfortable enough with, how with, you it, written it. with how I'd written it. But I cried and I cried because I was like – for the first time, because uh, I beat myself up thinking, you're such a coward. I can't believe you had to wait so long to say something about this. But that's my child brain yeah, thinking. Of course. And then I had to get to a point from writing this out and going through it to go, do you know what? You are so fucking brave. You know, and for every single person that raises their voice, I know the courage it takes to say, hey, this is my story. This is what happened to me. You know, and it, it was just... It was just so powerful. But I had to go through that a hundred times, like typing it out over yeah. and over just to get it comfortable enough for me to go, here, world, here's my story. So he then drops you home? He then took me home and... Did he come into the house? Um, I don't know. Yeah, he did because we had a big property and um, I just remember mum coming out and she's like, oh, what, no fish? Because we were going fishing, yeah, right? And um, I just said no and I sort of stomped off. And she'd spoke to him and said, yeah, what's what's going on? And he said to her, and I didn't know this until yeah. much later when I interviewed mum. There's a, there's a big chapter in my book, um, pardon me, that's dedicated uh, to my mother's story. And it, it fills in some of the gaps. Yeah. And, you know, he just said to her, it's a difference of opinion, right? That's what he said. A difference of opinion. And I just remember that I just needed, I had a shower and I just felt so sick But to you didn't stomach. know this at the time. No, I didn't know yep. that they had words. Um, and mum didn't know. It didn't sit right with her, but she didn't know. I mean, I didn't tell her anything. And you're a 15-year-old girl. And I was 15 and, you know, he was just Bob. And mm. um, that was that. So... Nothing changed until... Um, Did you I see him again? Not... Like with the family, I mean? Maybe once or twice. And that I think was that, was, that was it. Hello. Um, and and uh, so when I so I went to Fairhome College up in Toowoomba. I, went, I got my... So I, I turned 16 and I went to boarding school. Yep. So after that, there was very little... Um, there, there, actually, there wasn't anything after that. Mm. There was, that was the last time. Yep. Um. And then I got my scholarship to Fairhome College and I became really brave, right? Because I was independent. I was away yeah. from everything. I was out of the environment. Mm -hmm. um, the new you. And I got freaking strong and I was around really positive people. And, you know, I, I started to fuel my dreams and had have these big ideas coming on. You know, I had this thing. I, I met a, a uh, college um, teacher from the US who was coaching at, at the school in, in swimming and I, I really, like, looked up to her and she was just such a powerful influence on me and she was talking about, you know, colleges in America and I've got this little thing in my... this little bee in my bonnet that I wanted to go and um, learn in America. I yep. wanted to get a scholarship. And I was just, like, so caught up in this dream and it, and I wasn't coping. Like, I just started having panic attacks and I was, like, really depressed and I didn't know all this, but yeah. I was just, like... I'd call mum before I have a big competition and um, Fairham College, if anyone doesn't know, is, like... Australia's number one athletic school in Australia. Mm -hmm. 
and you know there was a lot of pressure on us to do really well but it was just it was just so good it was just such a beautiful sporty like and the girls are so like together and it was just like a spirit and a you know when you've been in teams and stuff like that it was just unbelievable like the atmosphere and the you know and and it just I could forget everything I just forgot everything and I just was like I'm gonna do this and I was so grateful um and I get really cranky the kids who don't have gratitude for education and things like that I get really annoyed because to me, it saved my life, mm-hmm. you know, and my sport saved my life. So I embraced all of it. Yeah. I did everything, you know, I gave my whole heart and soul to it. And, uh, you know, the, the girls that I went to school with were just so incredible. And and so what in what sport, when you were at, when you were at that college, yeah. what, did you have to dedicate to one or could you play many? No, we, we, well, we did the normal sports throughout yeah. the semester, you know, volleyball, soccer, whatever. But then I was in track and field. I was in okay. athletics. So hurdles. Well, I did heptathlon, which is seven events. Yep. And then I specialised in throws. Mm-hmm. So I was very good. I started hammer throwing. And, and is that because you were doing the weightlifting and stuff or oh. was that before that? No, I just did that as well. Okay. <laughs> did it all. Hey. I mean, <laughs> Why look, not? I mean, like I was hurling axes around and chopping firewood from God knows <laughs> when how you're old. A little so, kid, yeah, yeah. Hey, you know, what's a, what's a hammer throw? So that's fuck a day one. What's fuck a day two? Fuck it day two happened. Uh, you like how we call it fuck it day? I yeah, love it. That. You can use that now. I'll, I'll give you that one. Don't worry about that. <laughs> I think I do anyway. Yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it, it happened not too long after. So I went to school and then I, I stayed in Toowoomba um, at, at the college and I worked at the college as a coach. Uh, and I was on my way to work one day and I was hit by a car. Physically hit by a car? Physically hit by a car. And I was at peak in my soccer and I was doing really well on my throws and I was talking to these American colleges. I told you that I, yeah, yeah. You know, so I've graduated high school um, and, you know, I, I was working really, really hard trying to save some money and I was just chatting with like Washington State University yeah. and all these places and I was just like, oh my God, I was in like dreamland half the time and the other half I was training or trying to save money so I could, you know, go overseas, yep. may- maybe, maybe. Um, and then I got hit by a car and that was that. So I was like, How bad? I broke my uh, tibial plateau, so it cracked, oh. it, cracked it in half and, you know, it, it was Not bad. good for an athlete. No, but Not good I for mean, anyone. I thought my whole world was over because mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, my America, my everything, my Olympics, all the things I dreamed about. I mm-hmm. was like, it's, I'm gone, that's it. So I just, I literally had the biggest teenage crisis yeah. <laughs> because I was like, so what it's were you all then? over. 17, 17, uh, 18? No, I was 19. 19, okay. Uh, 19, Still a teenager 20, anyway. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so I just thought that's that. And um, I ended up with a cast on my leg for God knows how long. And I just was so depressed. I was so depressed. I, I you know, ended up getting it off and then um, the cast that is. And then I, I just remember trying to rehab back and it was just taking like so long. And I was just not good. And I remember sitting down. It was one of my college um, coaches who I was just sitting down with and I just started crying. She's like, what's going on? And then I just spilled it. So you told her? It just her. came out. I told her and I was just like, oh, my God. Um, so <laughs> while the this first person I've ever told that. <laughs> I was like, holy shit. I don't know where that came from. She's like, oh, my God. Um, and she she did the best thing she could have. And she's like, you know, I, I hear you and I see you, but I can't help you with this. So let, let, me, let me get you someone who can. And so she reconnected me. And, and I knew that she's one of the college um, like guidance officer type yep. things, like counsellor. And so we just, you know, started chatting because I was still working for the school even mm-hmm. though I graduated. 
So I was, you know, still tired. Still around. And yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and it was it was amazing. I didn't have to see her too much. But I while this is all going on, I was having repeated nightmares. And when I say repeated nightmares, this is my sister. And I, I was dreaming and it was very much like the start of some drama movie where the little girl's running through the cane fields and oh, actually whatever. Tingly, it? Oh, it, it, mm. it was. And, and I say repeated because it happened for six months and it was just the same dream over and over and over. And my sister was like running through it was wheat and we don't even have wheat fields yeah. <laughs> you know but it was wheat and then all of a sudden she was under the tiny little primary school that we all went to and she was like hiding behind the poles and I was like Laura where are you and I was like you know trying to find her and she was giggling and and happy and then all of a sudden I couldn't find her anywhere and I and I could like my heart rate would pick up and I'll be oh like I was Jesus. screaming for her and I was like where are you where are you and then I just there was this like epic fountain and there's no fountain at the school, but there's a fountain in my dream. Yeah. And on one side of the fountain uh, was me and at the bottom of the fountain under the water was my sister looking up at me and she was trying to talk to me. So she wasn't dead, but she was trapped mm. there. And then I looked up and on the other side of the fountain was my uncle. And I went, uh, and fuck. I just was like, fuck, I, I, I have to save my sister. But it took me a long time to, to find that courage. And so that six months of this repeated dream and then me like not being able to deal with it anymore and all coming out, I was like, I have to go, I have to do something. And so when this counsellor was trying to uh, talk to me and, you know, it, it, it wasn't a lot. Like I, it was one thing I regret is not getting more um, counselling support. But she came with me to the police station to make my report. And I did that. And... Um, I, I was like, if I'm doing this, I have to tell my parents. I have to tell them. So, <laughs> it's me, um, being the typical teenager, I used to party a lot too. Um, that also <laughs> <laughs> was like <laughs> me coping was like yeah, a lot of drinking and sport. Those things just go went to went together well in yeah. the nineties and the start of the two thousands. Hundred percent. Um, but you know, she's just was like, oh, so, cause I said, you know, I've got, I need you to come down. And she's like, what are you pregnant? And I was like, fuck no. <laughs> I'm like, no, I'm not pregnant. But they, they didn't have, like I said, they didn't have much money and I had nothing, you know, but I said, you have to come down. I cannot talk to you over the phone about this. Yeah. And so they, they found a way and, and they came to Toowoomba cause you know, it's a, it's a six and a half or six hour drive from yep. there to, to Toowoomba and, uh, you know, they got there and I'd organised with my housemate at the time. It was just amazing to uh, help me look after my little brother and sister. And um, she took them off to the, the fate at the school at mm -hmm. the time. And I stayed at home with mum and dad. And I, this is fuck it, number two. This yep. is this is it. And I had to tell them and I just, I just burst into tears. I just remember it was just epic um, because it was – took the same amount of courage to me – to tell him to fuck off, Bob, than it, as it to, did to, to tell, tell him what actually happened. Yeah, and I didn't even get it out. And um, it was mum. She said, he he did something to you, didn't he? And I just was like, yes, he did. And then I just started crying. And they're just like, oh, my God. Um, and then she said, uh, she's like, I never wanted this to happen to you. And she was just like, she was crying. And she just said, because, you know, this happened to me too. And I, I, um... I've never told anyone. Wow. Yeah. From Bob? No. 
from her, her dad. Oh. It was her dad. And, you what's, know. What's your dad doing at this stage? My dad, he's just. Because I've got this picture in my head of them. i talking about Because I, I don't normally go into stuff this no, much. But, I but I'm, um, I save I'm, it for the keynotes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, but I'm, I've got this picture in my head. They're sitting on the couch. You're sitting opposite them. You're chatting to them. And everyone's breaking down in yeah. tears. And I know, I, I don't know, but I've got four yeah. kids, right? And if someone's touched one of my kids, I don't care who they are, I would be, the, the blood would just start boiling. Yeah. Well, he, he was fuming and he was so angry and he was so upset. He, he didn't have much. He's just like, fuck it, I knew it. I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. Like, you know, I just uh, – because they'd, they'd been talking and I was yeah. like, Dad, look, I, I, I just – and I said, I love you guys. And then I said, it's not your fault. Yeah. I'm like, I just remember that. You're going to get me all emotional now because I never talked this much about it. It's in my book. That's why it's in my book, you know. Um, At any I, I time you can stop talking. No, it's fine. It's okay. It's probably good. That's very good. Um, <laughs> I just, I just remember hugging them and saying, you know, it's not your fault, and they're like, no, it's not your fault. And I'm like, I'm sorry. And they're like, oh, it's not your fault. And I'm like, no, it's not your fault. <laughs> and I was like, everyone's like, it's yeah. Anyway, we we ended up going to pick up the kids, and we'd also, I'd also arranged for the counselor to talk to them. Yep. To tell them what had happened, and um, to the kids. Yeah, yeah. So they knew. Um, had they been touched? No, no. They fuck for that. But later, I, I, I know my mum was um, – so back to the dream. So here we go, mm. a bit all over the place here. It'll all come together. Right. But mum actually did catch him sometime later, hiding behind one of the cars, watching my sister and my little cousin playing. Um, and, and I'm not sure exactly when this falls in because they couldn't say anything for a little while until mm. the investigation part was over and they could actually arrest him. So when you'd report, so you'd, you'd told mum and dad. So I'd reported You'd reported it. to the cops. Yep, but then they had to do their thing. They've got to make sure that it's not just someone telling stories. So they've yep, got to so go they, on. they did their investigations and got their statements. Did they take you seriously, stuff? the coppers? Absolutely, they're amazing. They were? They're amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, part of the reason I became a police officer. Yep. It was because so of that? Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah absolutely. They're incredible. Um, and, yeah, so all that happened and <laughs> poor mum and dad. Um, I went off to America. So you got the scholarship. So yeah, there was there was some pretty crazy shit that happened, and um, I ended up. So then I ruined I ruined the moment. No, you haven't. I got it. I got going. the scholarship. <laughs> um, so I, you know, I just I was still doing my thing, and I just had to restart the whole like process with yep. these universities, and it was this really tiny college in North Dakota, who sent me an offer. And I was just like, I just, I need to go. Yeah. And I mean, it cost us some money, um, but we we ended up doing it because I got a half scholarship. Yep. And so I went over to North Dakota and and Jamestown College and I was over there and it was then. For what? um, Throwing? Yep. So I was, I was soccer. Soccer and throwing. Yep. And I play, and I did um, track and field. So I was indoor and outdoor. So I was pretty busy, like 99% of the time. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, And I did the heptathlon and then I did like throws pentathlon which is a bit different mm-hmm. so indoor because it's frozen half the year yeah. over there <laughs> so cold but it, the experience of that was just like nothing I've ever experienced in my life and I just remember so there was a time that, so between me telling uh, mum and dad police investigation getting my scholarship um, 
I just I, I just remember being um, getting a phone call. So he ended up it was all it, it all went to court. I didn't have to give any evidence, but I got a phone call from the detective to say that he pleaded guilty to. Um, and, I, and I'm probably not, I don't want to get it wrong, but I think it was about 14 of the charges. Yeah. Um, and he was sentenced to four years to serve 18 months. And he That's fucked. It is fucked. Um, very fucked, actually. And <laughs> I, I don't talk much about the my opinions of the sentencing because it, it doesn't do justice to... To what the crime was. To what the crime is. And I don't think... It, it's something... But it, I don't feel like I can talk about my opinions. Yeah, yeah. you go, you my, go. I'd my opinion is that you've <laughs> groomed a young girl from the age of eight Absolutely. to fifteen. So there's at least seven years you should be fucked up for. Yeah, <laughs> and then another hundred percent. And the how many years after that, you're never going to be the same, right? Mm. So that person either should get their nuts chopped off. Is my personal opinion, or be put away for life? That's I'd, just the I'd way like I look to say at that it. Out loud. Um, no, but that's and as I say, that's my opinion, not that shared by anyone else in this room. <laughs> Probably shared, but let's not go there. But what I mean though is that eighteen months in jail does not fit that crime. And the thing is, have they ever proved that it wasn't just you? Because there's got to be fucking hundreds of them. Like I, I don't. And the offending doesn't stop. Let's put it that way. Hundred percent. And then they get out of jail and they fucking just reoffend. That's the worst thing ever. Yeah, it is. And I. That's why I do this because I believe the more that it's talked about, the more chance we've got of these offenders at least being uh, made accountable for their actions and for the abuse to stop. You know, that that's my greatest hope and that the earlier that it's caught, the more um, we can do to, to, you know, get ourselves strong and, and hopefully to provide that, you know, education around what to look for so that it doesn't happen in the first place. So I've got two more questions, then we're going to move on from this you topic. You do whatever right. you want. Question one is, how the fuck didn't your dad kill that bloke? Oh, look, do you know... Was that you guys is? stopping him? <laughs> and, and and I'm really serious about that because... I don't know because he... I just know, and, and I was going to say this before, was they had to have a barbecue and he was coming down for a barbecue. And this is between when it, I told him before the police could arrest him because... So he didn't know they knew? He didn't know they knew, but they'd been fishing... And Dad was sharpening his. He said to me, "He's like, I, I thought about what I could do." Yeah, hundred percent. Like, I think that's a normal reaction. Obviously, the difference would be between if he did or if he didn't. Did, yeah, did. yeah. <laughs> but um, you know, they they needed to do that to protect the integrity of the investigation. Hundred percent. Must um, have been fucking hard. Oh fuck! Look, I I can't imagine. And and you know, doing what I do now, I'm in the public all the time. Yeah. I'm talking about this stuff, and you know, there's. A lot that they're still, um, you know, coming to terms with, I think. I don't think it goes away for them. It would never go away. It would never you go know? for any way that's been touched now. No. The second one, has you ever seen him since? Um, No, but I've seen his wife and that's another story in itself. Um, I, I just have no time for that. She, uh, I, I can't speak ill of her because, you know, she's not the one on trial here. Um, but you know, I I just cannot fathom somebody supporting um, that. Uh, yeah, that's exactly. full stop. Bang. That's you it. You know, he didn't serve that eighteen months. He served less than that because she, you know, had a child, and um, you know, that was utilized as a, you know, get out of jail a bit earlier card, and 
you know, she stayed with him. And when I wrote, I don't even know if I can say this out loud, but I'm going to do it anyway. If I get in trouble, I get in trouble. <laughs> Blame me. Um, Everyone else does. Yeah. No, but we, when I wrote my book, um, we ended up interviewing her because I said some things in my book. She, you know, when you, when you publish, you've got to, you know, give someone the opportunity 100%. for a right of reply. Yep. You know, and some of the things that were discussed in that interview, which um, I, I can't really share, made yep. me so angry and so frustrated. But at the end of the day, I just, you can't deny that it happened. Pleaded guilty. Like, <laughs> why would, if, if you didn't do it, <laughs> why say, I, why, why plead why guilty? And go to jail for it. I mean, come yeah, on. that's. So, you know, to continually support someone after that, I just don't know how you could do it. But. That's me. That's my opinion. 100%. Um, Everyone's entitled you know, to an opinion. And there's lots of reasons people do stay with offenders and there's lots of reasons people don't speak about it. And I talk about all this shit all the time because I do not believe the shame needs to continue to hide in secrecy because the moment we put and shed a light on it, we become powerful and we you know, stand in our own light and this stuff ceases to have control over us. Amen. Yeah, that. There you Good. go. Amen. And I'm not even religious. Okay, <laughs> so during all this time, mm. we're going to go in a different direction now. Absolutely. Are you, right. are you single during that time? Um, that time in, yeah. in America. Yeah, so during during the time between, I don't know, naught and 18, whenever you go to America, was there, what, what oh, was look, your relationship had, through that period? I had fleeting boyfriends. Yeah. Um, But I was so focused on my sport over there. It was just what I did. I just kept going. Yeah. Um, but before I went to America, I had lots of very bad relationships because I was just trying to work out who I was. Yeah. You know, the definition of love for me had been completely fucked up. Fucked up. Mm. Um, and I just, I didn't know who I was. So, you know, I, I wanted the fairy tale because it was a place where you can hide in your head mm -hmm. and it makes sense, you know. But you try and find it in all the wrong places and there's a lot of emptiness in that. There's a lot of anger. There's a lot of frustration and there's a lot of like, why doesn't this feel right? You know, I thought it was meant to be like this. And I, I talk, I'm, I'm writing my second book right now and I just want to add this in, but there's also a lot of grief. Of course there is. There's a lot of grief because you lose a lot of those things that, um, those innocent first times, um, you know, the innocent first kiss, the first boyfriend, the first you know, sexual encounter, like, it's supposed to be kind of weird and fun and kind of gross maybe sometimes. Gross and, and awkward and, and all and that awkward stuff. awkward and, you know. <coughs> but, but that's taken away from you. It, it's just, it's just not there that you don't get to have that anymore. So, you know, you lose that and, and as you get older, you grieve that. Of course. You know, and you grieve what you don't know you haven't or don't know that you haven't got that doesn't make sense but it does yeah you, you know like you you grieve the the thought because you've got this idea of what it's supposed to look like and you're trying to find that idea but it doesn't exist you know yet it doesn't exist until yet. you do the work you've got to do the work 100 percent, 100 percent. yeah so we're in this small town in america freezing cold freezing being an athlete <laughs> when do you come back to australia um, well, what happened was I came back for a holiday uh, and it was in that time that I got recruited to a bigger college. In the so, US? Yep. So yep. Um, North Dakota State University picked me up, which is in um, 
you know, right on in Fargo, North Dakota. Yeah. It is like Fargo. <laughs> flat and cold. <laughs> um, and I went to school there, so I became a bison. Go the bison. Go the bison. Go the bison. Um, and they were a Division Two college who went Division One while I was there. So pretty much from that moment, so for the next three years until I graduated, I paid for all my school, my sport. I got a degree. Uh, I travelled all over the US. I competed in like. The uh, national championships. The I was living my best life. Yeah. Well, you know, depends. athlete's life. Athlete's life. Mm. It was just like the thing that, the things that I had dreamed about, and you know, competing in front of big um, crowds, and you know, just just being able to live and not look over my shoulder. What's the biggest crowd you ever competed in front of? Oh gosh, of? I wouldn't know that. <laughs> like, when I, like we're talking yeah, big well, stadiums big in high schools, aren't we? Stuff like that. Look, it wasn't in like universities. the football. The, no, the of atmosphere not. of the bloody football, and they got the friggin' like you know cheerleaders and stuff. I was like, oh my god, why can't they bring cheerleaders to our games? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but like it was just epic. It was just, it was beautiful, and you know, I, I'd connected with a local church there, and I had like a beautiful American family. Yeah. And a lot of international students just kind of stick to themselves. Like, I fully embraced my life and I have the most beautiful American family. Um, That's so nice. It, oh, it's so good. And 2015, yeah. when I knew I was ready to talk and I wrote my book, I went back. I went back because I'm a John Maxwell leadership coach and I went back because someone said, you need to go and do this course. And I went back and I went to the college and I connected with all my beautiful friends and my beautiful American family, and that was when I started my speaking journey about this. That's seven years ago. It was, and I'm just like, oh my god! And I have, and I'm well. No, actually, let me rephrase this. I am learning just how much I've done. If I wasn't a police officer, and I've been a police officer for 15 years in July, yeah, I don't think I would have been able to do what I've done because there's a really unique thing about cops is that we're really good at compartmentalising. Yeah. We do a thing, move on, do the next thing, move on, job, you have to. And I don't think I could be a cop and do all the stuff I'm doing if it wasn't for, you know, my my police officer skills. <laughs> so when <laughs> so you come back to Australia from the second university, yeah, so you've got yeah, your so degree, you've got that stuff? It was like the, uh, 2001, I think. What made you become a cop? Well, it was a lot of things, really, but it was mostly those guys that helped me in the yeah. beginning. Um, but being in a small town, we had those beautiful adopter cops, yeah. small town cops, and it just—it's a good job, you know. So you thought oh, I'm going to get a job now? I'm getting older. My career's yeah. going down the Look, toilet. I mean, there was a couple of little things in between. I did some photography. I was a personal trainer. You know, all those things happened, and then I got into the police. And and as soon as you went to the academy. Did you think, yeah, this is me? I was great. It was good. And then I got thrown into my first day on the job and I was like, holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> I remember what I, have I done? Because I, I, I tried out for the cops. And uh, back back when I was, uh, they only took certain intakes each year. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, they were really after women. When I was going, they only took a smaller number of men at the time. Mm. And um, so I never made it. One of my mates made it and one of the girls made it. And I remember when they, their first day out on the academy, and they used to throw it from New South Wales. They used to always put the, the young people in King's Cross. So they yeah, get straight yeah. away. Like, let's just throw you in the fucking deep end. Yeah, well, I got thrown into Townsville, so I yeah. get it. <laughs> and day two, they went to a hanging. Yeah, yeah. And he said, holy fuck, like it was one of the worst things that ever happened. But also, 
he's so glad that it happened then because mm. that then realised the whole compartmentalising because the blokes are there. Like, he's sitting there fucking devastated for a week and this and they're going, you gotta, we've got to go to this job. Like yeah, we've got to we've go to the next, gotta, go go to the next one. <laughs> but but I just saw that. Yeah, but that's like – and then had to move next on. Job. And he actually says yeah. now like, that's one of the best things that – not the best things that happen, but the best ways for him to learn was – that's why they do it. They throw him into these areas. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So he must have seen some shit in the last 15 years. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. But you also must have seen some really massive kindness, massive gratitude, yeah. massive things that – oh, you just want to hug someone. Yeah, look, I have a real passion for working in disaster management. Mm -hmm. Um, The things that I I see particularly, and especially Queenslanders will know this, is, um, you know, when the floods happen and the the fires and things like that, it brings out the absolute best in people, but also the worst. Yeah. But it's, it's that, you know, coming together of community and, you know, people really stepping up and in, in those times that I... I think it restores my hope in humanity because all the other times I see, you know, these people that are struggling with life and, you know, it is hard at the moment. It is really hard and and I know people are struggling but we forget our own power and we forget the ability to speak and, you know, we've forgotten what it's like to be human sometimes and just be like, hey, this is what's going on. This is what I need. You know, we don't talk about that anymore. We're just like, no, nah, we're done with this. Yeah. You know, or I, I'm we're, too We've lost a lot of gratitude and kindness in this world. We have. And, and I guess that's why I do like those, you know, <laughs> I don't want bad things to happen. But like when they do, you do see people go and remember, remember that they need each other. Yeah. You know, and we need people. And, and one of the things that I, I talk to my survivors about um is tribe and I, and I talk about it all the time on my social media is we have got to connect with like-minded people who yes. are passionate yes. where you feel safe where you feel heard and where you feel seen because if you don't have those things you know people go find them elsewhere mm-hmm. and it's not always a safe place and it's not always a place where they're seen or not when they're heard that's why relationships fail you know so true and but you can't you can't heal you can't heal without that so can we talk about relationships? Sure. You've got an amazing oh, partner. I do. She's beautiful. Where, what, how, who? Tell me that story. Her name is Zoe. Um, where did we meet Zoe? Well, I'm a Brave Hearts ambassador. Okay. I love Brave Hearts. One of my favourite charities. They are amazing. And Zoe works for Brave Hearts. Okay. And she's probably going to kill me if I tell this story. But, but that's okay. She's, um, She'll she's forgive you. apparently had her eye on me for a little while. Oh, there you go. I, know. I was just like, oh, he's stalking me. I was just like, <laughs> stalking's only an offence if there's no consent, but it's all right. <laughs> Sorry. She um, liked the women in uniform. Is that what it was? Uh, look, I can't say that out loud, but maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Once um, again, I can. <laughs> yeah, you can. You can. Um, no, but she, we, we just were talking. We'd always talked anyway because I do love Bravehearts and yep. I do a lot of advocacy for them and – um, because she does the marketing, she's often, you know, talking to me anyway. So I, um, I've written some children's books and, uh, look, they're still sitting in the back burner, so <laughs> they're there, but Not she's a long. very good artist yeah. and she's a great drawer and I wondered if she could draw portraits and animals. And so I messaged her and then we just got chatting and that was that. That was a nice little segue. Can you come and draw some portraits for me? Well, you know, I was just like, well, she'll get it because she works in child abuse, yeah. so she'll understand what some of those links. And yeah. 
um, you know, it just it just started like that, and then that's where it was, and that's that. And how long have you guys been together? Nearly two years now. So wow. Yeah, it's been really good. So it's like so getting a bit serious now. Two years. Well, you know, we ended up proposing to each other, so we're who, engaged. Who did? Well, look, I was planning all this, yeah, and then she watched me, or she came with me to Darwin. I spoke at the National Child Protection Forum, and um, I remember coming out of there. And, and going over the road for a mud crab and a beer because that's what you do in Darwin. Yeah, yeah. And um, she's just like grabbed me and she's like, will you marry me? And I was like, what? <laughs> I said, are you serious? <laughs> like, you can't do that to me. And she's like, why not? And she's, I was like, well, I can't say I was going to ask you because <laughs> <laughs> the ring was burning a hole in my pocket and I was just like, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, and then I just was like, yeah, of course I will. But then we sort of just – I didn't like kind of encourage it because I had this big plan – I had a big plan. So she ruined your plan. She ruined my bloody oh. plan. Did you give her the ring though? I did. Oh, that's It right took right me then. a couple of days to oh, work did out how I was going to do it though. But <laughs> and how did you do it then? Was well, it romantic? Very, well, I thought it was romantic. It was quite cute because they got some beautiful, we love seafood. And um, there's a beautiful seafood restaurant down on the um, harbour down there. And I wanted to do it the day, well, it was two days before that. But um, she didn't want to follow me to where I was trying to take her. She was like, <laughs> no, I want to eat. And I was just like, you come down to the sunset, yeah. it's beautiful, just come this <laughs> I've way. I've planned this. I'm like, well. yeah. Anyway, I was just like, oh, my God. And then she's like, goes and starts eating and gets crab juice all over. And I was like, I can't fucking ask <laughs> So I just left it there to burn a hole in my pocket for another day. And I was like, all right, just just chill. We're going to do this again and I'm going to set it up and it's going to be great. And so then we found another seafood restaurant in a different part of the harbour. <laughs> and, um, you know, I was like trying to find a spot because I didn't know they're down there, but I wanted it to be, you know, at, at Darwin and – um. We ended up going up and she's like, oh, look, I got us a, a table on the uh, on the deck and it was like out over the water. Oh, nice. So it was really nice. And then I was like, oh, fuck, that'll do. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, I wanted it to be this big thing. And then because she tried to take me, she's like, well, come sit. I was like, come and sit on the rocks. And she's like, well, why can't we go to these rocks? And then I went down there and there's like a dead fridge and like a, you know, dead can there. And this I'm is there romantic, going, this honey. is fucking romantic. I'm like, I'm not doing this here. And I was like, girl, but I want to fall in the water. I don't want to drop the ring. I was like, fuck no. Anyway, so we went up to the restaurant. And I was like, holy shit, there's like big holes in the, like. I'm going to drop it through the gap. <laughs> through the gap and there's like big barrow down there feeding. And I was like, oh my God, the effort I went to to get this ring, this is not going to happen. So I'll just like put it on the table and I slid it over and I said I've been talking to your dad and she said what happened <laughs> and what dad say well I got permission I got to do I'm very old fashioned you know so am I do you know when, when I asked my wife I took him to the pub and took the, the father-in-law yeah, out yeah, yeah. to the pub and we were there for like four and a half hours he was blind by the end oh, of it we were betting on horses and, oh, and so then you had to get him drunk for I, permission no but I said at the end I said do you mind if I marry your daughter? And he goes, oh, you could have fucking asked me four and a half hours ago before I had to drink all that beer. <laughs> oh, dear God. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah, I love it. I love the fact that you asked the dad. And, uh, well, she never thought that they would um, approve because, you know, they're old-fashioned. Yeah. And, you know, so to me, I was like, no, fuck this. I'm going to, like, smash it. I'm going to do this. Yeah. And I, I just uh, – that, that was hard too. I would have. I've done a lot of hard conversations, but that was fucking hard. <laughs> 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 do you mind if I marry your daughter? <laughs> Like, please say yes, please say yes. And was he was he all good about it? Yeah, he was good. He was good. He's like, well, if it makes her happy, it's all that matters. It's all that matters. So yeah, and of course she said yes. So oh, what a great so way to finish a podcast. She's uh, a happy. We're not finished yet, though. No, there's awesome things happening. So what, are you ready for the? I I always do very fast things at the end. Are you ready? Okay, cool. Greatest Let's achievement go. in life. Uh, look, to be honest, <laughs> surviving. 
Probably. It's not a bad achievement. <laughs> right. Did you, you ever play for Australia? I, I have com- like tr- uh, played. Uh, well, oh, represent, represented Australia. Yes, I have. So you've had yeah. the crest on, and yeah. you stood up and listened to the anthem. Yeah, done. That was amazing. <sighs> that w- that's just me. Yeah, I've, I I love that. My sport has been amazing. Writing my book was like oh my god. That would have been pretty cool. It was so good because I was like I'm I suck at getting things done. How right. awesome is it when the publisher hands it to you? I've, oh. I've done two now, and when they hand you the book, and you think, uh, fuck, I wrote that. Like, I know. Wow, look at I'm that. I'm sitting there sniffing the pages. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> so. Who's the person or the people who have influenced your you the most? Look, there's been so many angels. I, I call them my light bulb people. Mm-hmm. They come along on the way, and they just light up, or they give me an idea, or... You know, there's there's a lot of beautiful followers out there that I have that are just so wonderful, and they say, you know, give me such beautiful feedback all the time, um, which keeps me going. But it's it's the people close to me, my mom, um, particularly. You know, I I get a bit emotional about my mom because she's just been through so much. You know, her story is more tragic than I think than mine. Mm. Um, but she's just she's just a beautiful woman. She's just incredible. Um, would you write your mum's story? I would, absolutely. It starts, there's this whole chapter in my book dedicated to my mum's story that gives a lot of context um, around. So I've got this thing in my head now, just these things popping yeah, in my head. Yeah, yeah. We've got mum's story, we've got your story, and then we've got yeah, re- re- redemption, is that we, do we call that? Well, we got well, I'm writing the future. Yeah, so the book too. And then, and then what we do is, like is we make them into movies, we make them into a series. This could Who's going to do that? <laughs> I just said we will. We're doing that together. Anyway, <laughs> I'll get in early. Quick fire. Favorite food? Food? Oh, seafood. I'll just go seafood. It's Favorite so song? Oh, that's too many. Go pick one. No, I can't. You have to. It's like part of the Mate, I'm an a- look, look, 80s. Look, I'm an 80s, 80s fan. 80s beer songs, all right? Any day. Cold Chisel? Yeah. K-San? Yeah. We'll go there. Okay. Favorite place in the world? Uh, look, um, anywhere where there's a beach and a fishing rod and a fire. Says the woman that went to Fargo. I know, but <laughs> you have to go far to sometimes. Go. I get that. I get you know, that. And, and that was a huge growth opportunity for me. And it is like the vision. Like I never stopped believing I was going to be speaking in front of people and That's doing so this good. work. How big a crowd have you spoken in front of? What's your um, biggest? Probably, f- well, it depends. Uh, my online is like 3,000, 4,000. I don't know. What about like? Physically in a room. 500 maybe. It's pretty um, cool, isn't Oh, Daniel Morecambe Foundation. I spoke at the Dance for Daniel. That wow. was massive. There was, there was a big crowd there. Um, amazing. Amazing. Do you get hyped about that stuff? Like the I feeling in your gut? Or do you get like shit nervous? I get shit nervous beforehand. Yeah. Um, and then I do it and then... But you I were get, really good at it. Like, as I said at the start, I'm going to blow wind up your ass. You are really good at that. You were really good at telling is. stories. Because when it's I, happened. It's real. Yeah, I look, to be honest, I, I consider myself a bit intuitive because what happens when I'm talking like that is uh, I, I get this feeling and I remember this happened. Um, at, at, I'm an ambassador for Child Safe Australia as well mm-hmm. and I spoke at one of their events and I'd, I'd canvassed the room before and I spoke to a few people and I just felt in my heart that I needed to go somewhere else with what I was saying. I did my thing, you know, said what I was going to say but I, I felt something and I stepped into that thing and it was about mums who felt guilty about um, abuse happening to their children and and not feeling uh, like they did enough or that they were good enough, you know. 
And, and there was, it was quite a few women like that in there. And I stepped into that moment and I said, it's not your fault. It's you who's out there. And, and I just stepped into it. And, and oh, my God, like, oh, I got some, I could feel it. It was just yeah. like coming out of me. And this is, this is amazing. So quite some time ago, you know, I've always wanted to be a pastor, yeah. believe it or not. But um, there was a gentleman in the audience who was one of my very early pastors at one of my churches. And he came up to me afterwards and he said, do you remember me? And I said, of course I remember who you are. I was like, oh, my God. And gave him a hug. And he's like, do you remember what you said to me? And I, and I said, yeah. I said, I always want to be a speaker and, and you know, change lives and do this and, um, you know, be a pastor. And he's like, he said, well, girl, you're preaching now. And it was just like, I was like, okay, I, I know that I can do this. And um, when I spoke at this uh, Australia's largest lunch recently, you have to understand this has been a, in the last seven years I've gone from being a toddler to being becoming myself, becoming what I knew I was born to do. And I don't even remember a damn thing I said on that stage. Mm. But I know that there was something really profound about it because of how people responded. And We're sat here because of it. You touched us. Seriously. Well, I appreciate that. No, but but seriously, you did. And the thing is, every single person in that room would say the exact same thing. Well, watch this space, because apparently I'm going back next year. I'll be there. I'll cheer you. <laughs> Go, Kelly. Go, Kelly. Oh, God. <laughs> I need you to wear pom-poms and a tutu. I'll do that. No problem. What's the name of your book? Unscathed Beauty. And where can they buy it? On my website, kellyhumphreys.com. Where can they follow you on all of the social socials? Kelly Humphreys is on Facebook, on Instagram, author speaker, Kelly Humphreys author speaker. Are you TikToking yet? No, but We're I've got to do that because I need to, I really want to reach a younger generation. 100%. I have to. I have to talk to them. I TikTok have to. TikTok users are currently between the age of 28 and 54. Oh, well, shit. I've got to catch base. up. Um, Just saying. Yeah, and, and I, I, I know. I've got to do it. I. I've had a few things and I got a little bit burned out, but I I just need to take a freaking cup of courage and harden the fuck up and get this shit done. Well, you're doing a great job doing it. And <laughs> as I said at the very start of this, this, this podcast is called Awesome Humans. And as far as I'm concerned, you're an awesome human. Thanks so much, Kel. Thank you so I much. I look for forward to doing me. stuff in the future. And let's get you podcasting. What's your space? Uh, look, it'll it's happen. happen. Watch it's this space. Happen. Thanks, Dale. Good to speak to you. Bye.